Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution. It's an age-old dream of humanity to find the fountain of youth to stop aging, to stop disease. And we may very well be on our way to making this dream a reality. We're currently witnessing the dawn of a new age of technologies that will change our lives forever and that will drastically extend human lifespan and health span with gene therapy. My guest today is Liz Parrish, the founder and CEO of BioViva Sciences, the biotechnology company researching treatments to slow the aging process in humans. BioViva is committed to extending healthy lifespans using gene therapy. Liz is known as the woman who wants to genetically engineer you. She's a humanitarian, entrepreneur, author, and innovator, and a leading voice for genetic cures. summer and I have passionately dedicated the last 12 years of my life to creating the ultimate human experience mentally, physically and spiritually based on the most powerful ancient teachings and cutting edge modern discoveries and technologies. The Superhumanized podcast is a show committed to sharing what I have learned from the world's leading experts in order to help you achieve your full potential and create your best life ever. Liz, thank you so much for being on the Superhumanized podcast today. It's great to have you with us. Thanks for having me, Ariana. I'm really excited to be here. What a wonderful introduction. Oh, well, what a wonderful opportunity to speak with you. You are involved in such cutting edge and exciting things that I know are going to change the way we live fundamentally. And I also know that before you got into biotechnology, you actually led quite a different life. Please um, share with us the story of what got you on this journey initially. So I was essentially taking care of my kids and working part-time for my husband's companies. He's a software guy. Um, and I was always interested in uh, what was happening with biology. I had taken some biology in college and I stayed really close to the core of innovation. It just is what I did in my spare time. So for a few years from about 2010 to 2013, I volunteered my time for the advocacy of the use of stem cells. Um, so stem cells are kind of old news uh, in, in the world of medicine, although they're just emerging as commonplace in Western medicine now. But at the time, there were a lot of problems. You know, there was the defunding from the government that happened that ended up slowing the process of getting this really important uh, technology to people who needed it. So I learned about stem cells and I got very interested in what was the driving factor behind the stem cells? Why did a stem cell, even though it had all the same genetic material as every other cell in your body, why did it have the ability to regenerate bodies and tissues and organs? At that point, they were building bladders for people who had had uh, bladder cancer and having their bladders removed. They were building tracheas for 
for people with windpipe issues. This was a really big deal and the world didn't know about it. So the genetics behind uh, the stem cell became really my focus. I, I found myself on calls with what are called epigeneticists, which at the time were not well understood, but the epigenome is how the genome is actually, um, how it's behaving. It's why your nose looks different than your lips. They have the same genes, but different genes are turned on. So um, unfortunately, that all came to a screeching halt in 2013 when my son was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So I ended up in Children's Hospital and said, where are the stem cells? Where are the genetics? Where are the cures? And they said, lady, that's experimental medicine. There are kids here who are dying. Um, count, count yourself lucky. Your son has a treatable disease. Well, that just wasn't good enough for me. Um, I had spent, you know, over two years researching, researching, you know, the, the latest, the, the greatest in innovation um, of what should be translationing, translational medicine quickly to humans, and it wasn't happening. So at that point, um, I completely switched gears and I started looking for genetic cures for kids. Mm. And you were also uh, patient zero in your first um, experiment. Please tell us about that. Right. So in um, so later in 2013, I ended up going to a conference that was about aging. But I went there because the professor of genetics, George Church, was speaking at the conference and other people were also speaking on genetics behind disease. George Church to this day is one of the scientific advisors of our company, by the way. But I walked in very green, uh, not knowing anything about treating aging. Um, when people would come off the stage, I would say, how could your treatment actually help cures, cure childhood disease? Okay. And um, they said, well, sure, this is, this is why aging and childhood disease are very similar. And so it really was this leap of understanding that over 100,000 people die every day of aging. Those 100,000 people, could it help advance cures for childhood diseases? And that's what got me on the route. So in 2015, some two years after uh, going to this conference and starting a company called BioViva, I became patient zero in the first genetic test to see if we could reverse any of the hallmarks of aging. And uh, the reason that I did it is because we knew it was very experimental. Um, the outcome was completely unknown. And I really believe that if you were, if you're going to head, if you're going to pioneer technology, you should be the first person to try it. You know, no one else should get hurt in the making of new therapies. Yes. And you were, you're actually following a, a line of um, famous uh, scientists and researchers also throughout history. There have been these trailblazers and pioneers who believe in exactly what you just said you know they want to be the first ones uh, to try these new therapies uh, you actually I did not know that at the time I did not know that I wasn't I didn't have a huge historical perspective on all of those things but I know that now and that really felt cool yeah to, to learn about that and say okay I'm not alone I mean obviously it seems like the most obvious thing it's a mandate if you think right. that there's a 
cure for a disease or, you know, if you could stop something terrible from happening, you know, you really, it's your mandate to do that. You, you have to stand up and do that or else, I mean, how could you live with yourself? I could not agree with you more. And at the time of that particular um, uh, experiment or therapy, you received two kinds of injections, right? Uh, one was a myostatin inhibitor and that was supposed to prevent um, age-related muscle loss. Yes. And the other was a telomerase gene therapy, uh, which is expected to lengthen uh, the telomeres, the parts of the DNA um, that wrap the ends of our chromosomes and where the shortening is associated with actually aging or degenerative diseases. What were the results of this? Is this and also, is this still something ongoing? Right. So um, anyone who participates in a gene therapy is sort of a lifelong subject. So before we get to how crazy that might seem to some people, um, let's talk about how gene therapy is actually impacting people's lives today. So today there are five regulated gene therapies and they are a one-time treatment for a lifetime cure, okay? But I'm gonna preface that with those are for monogenic diseases. That means we know the exact gene that has a problem and we can replace or upregulate a healthy version of the gene. Okay, so a healthy copy of the gene. So that's a lot more simple than aging because aging is a cascade of multicellular issues that are happening. Uh, but that doesn't stop us from trying. And I do believe we can actually get there. So uh, one of the gene therapies that I tried was, yes, it's to lengthen the caps of the ends of the chromosomes that shorten with every cellular division. And there's numerous amount of species now, several mammals that their lifespan are directly uh, correlated with how many times their cells can divide. And humans just happen to be one of those. So if we can uncap the, let's say, we're putting more caps on, but if we can uncap the limit to cellular division, uh, the organism itself can live a longer time. But it's more than that. Longer telomeres are associated with healthier bodies. They're associated with youthful, healthy bodies. So there's cancer research, and that's on one side, but many things go wrong in cancers, and some cancers get long telomeres until they burn out. But when you look at healthy cells, when you're looking at longevity, that's a whole different type of long telomere. And that's associated with healthier uh, cell copies, uh, healthier divisions, and a healthier organism all the way around. And we can prove that uh, through animal studies. And so um, it's actually really good science. Then the other one is to increase muscle mass. And did it do it? Yes, it did. <laughs> it really works. Um, actually, I think eight out of 10 people in trials in the United States for muscular dystrophy um, get an increased muscle mass with the gene therapy. And what we're looking at now is whether people over the age of 65 years old can also see that increase in muscle mass. Because that, look, people fall and they die, happened to a family member of mine, a, a friend's mother, uh, who's like family to me, uh, just last summer fell and died of uh, frailty. And so, you know, this is this is a real consequence of aging. It's called sarcopenia. It's muscle loss over time. And uh, but that gene therapy does other things, too. 
in all model organisms, including non-human primates, which is the, the closest step to humans, it extends lifespan. They live healthier, longer. Mm -hmm. So keep your muscle mass up. Yes. And, and this is, um, it, it just seems so unnecessary that we get hurt or even die from causes like the one you just mentioned. And it's obviously uh, devastating and really tragic within a family uh, to lose a loved one earlier than is actually necessary. And to address aging, we also need to understand it. What does aging mean to you? And also, why do some people stay healthy for their entire lives while others just don't? Well, um, so there's what, what is aging? So most simply put aging is cellular degeneration over time. Okay. So your cell degenerates faster than it can repair. And this is happening at a much younger age than you think. Mm -hmm. So our prospects for this type of technology is in the future. And hopefully we partake in the future the human body's biology is different than it is even now at 25. So people will say, well, are you going to make bodies like they're 25 or they're 18 or whatever? We would make a body different than what we've seen in a human before, but what we've seen in other model organisms in the world that just simply repair faster than they degrade. But if we look farther, if we go down into the cell, there are actually 10 hallmarks of aging that we trace with gene therapies. So these are the type of things that we are trying to undo. And one of them, very basic one, would be the telomere attrition. And that's something that we can lengthen with the gene therapy. Now, before we get ahead of ourselves, that's a type of therapy that we'd need to do in every cell of the body. And right now we don't have the technology to do that. We're wondering now uh, if multiple gene therapies over time would help target all the cells in the body. So with gene therapy, you, you insert a directed messenger that's going to deliver a gene to a cell. But right now, you know, you can hit 20, 30, 40% of the body at one time, but maybe not every cell in the body. So we're trying to get over those caveats. But there are other gene therapies that affect biological aging that may affect other hallmarks like glycation and mitochondrial dysfunction and intracellular um, communications and extra extracellular communications that actually will need a lot. We don't need to hit every cell in the body to get these genes active. And so we've opened our cohort of genes or our medium to several genes now. So we're, we're no longer just looking at one or two genes. So the hallmarks of aging, again, there are things like glycation, mitochondrial dysfunction, cellular communication issues, telomere attrition, senescent cell buildup. So senescent cells are old cells. They no longer divide. They're what you see in very old people, you'll see shiny, thin skin. Those are senescent cells. Um, often people die with healthy stem cells that are just no longer signaling because something's gone wrong. There's too much damage and something's gone wrong. So why are some people healthier for a longer period of time we know has to do with the genes, but they still end up dying of aging. So they're not the supermodel that we're looking for, but some things that we learn about, they're called super centenarians, people who live over the age of 110, they can give us some insight. They usually have better immune systems. They don't get sick as much. They usually have a better mental outlook, really important to everyone listening to this. You know, if you think you're going to die at 70, you, you just might. 
Um, <laughs> so um, there are a lot of things uh, that we can look at, but they generally have also genetic burden. They might have things like APOE4 um, copies that, that are making more likely to get things like Alzheimer's. They probably have a bigger propensity to build up atherosclerotic plaques. And so there's a myriad of things that you can look at. We look at the hallmarks of aging so that we can target gene therapies to what's happening at the cellular level in order to affect the downstream things like the um, atherosclerotic plaques and the dementia, the onsets of dementia and the various things that happen in between that you're usually diagnosed with. So if you look at aging itself, it's a disease. It, it's a clear pathology. Everybody gets it. Everybody gets it at different rates. A lot of people think that aging is what you look like uh, on the outside, but in fact, it's happening all the way through you. So um, look at any imaging of livers, brains, brains great. You can look at the imaging of an 86-year-old brain compared to a 26-year-old brain even if the person has no dementia, no uh, cognitive decline, and the brain looks completely different. It cuts all the way through you. And that's what we're trying to affect with these gene therapies. So mm -hmm. aging is the master disease. And then it goes down from that into symptoms, into the things that we consider diseases, which are things like dementia and heart disease and cancer and nephropathies, which is like chronic kidney disease. And um, if we can target aging, we can then work with one therapeutic modality in order to keep all of these downstream effects from happening. Um, so, uh, you know, that's just the goal of the company. Superhumanize. I want to learn more about what specifically you do there. I know that um, you actually, uh, BioViva gives uh, the customers access to, um, you know, bio markers, right? And providing an estimate of our real biological age. Uh, what are the top things that you focus on? With regards so, to that? Yeah, so what does BioViva do? We, we help people get in at every entry level to learn about aging. So number one, we, we offer biomarkers and something called the BioKeeper where they can store their health data. So we, we can give you the ability to look at your epigenetics. Uh, we have a kit called the TimeKeeper. We give you the ability to look at different uh, markers that look at different um, aging biomarkers like NAD and senescent cells. And we're also carrying a glycanages kit that helps you look at your immune aging. And so that gets people interested. And these are all actionable areas. All of these tests are something that you could change with basic lifestyle. Uh, then we do research and development and we'll have our first paper coming out this year. Um, and we've worked for over two years with Rutgers University on this paper and or on the research that led up to this paper. And that's really exciting because we are trying to take from what we know, um, spin that into translational medicine, building the gene therapies of the future. We know the gene therapies will be multiple genes to cure aging. And so we are designing for you the technology that's going to do that. And you'll be able to get all the genes in one therapy instead of multiple therapies. And so that's really exciting. And then on the third side, we have a partner called Integrative Health Systems, which is the first company in the world that by consensual use helps people get access to regenerative gene therapies in locations where they can work by consent with a, a consenting physician. 
And uh, that is those three areas just absolutely work into themselves because we've got biomarkers to see what works. Uh, we've got translational medicine to make better drugs based on uh, the, the triangle, the top triangle of that is helping patients today and getting them access to technology that will revolutionize tomorrow. Excellent. And you know what's so fascinating about this, uh, and you also brought it up uh, before, is it's about redefining aging as a disease. And of course, that throws up the questions about the um, process and the role of aging and the human condition. Um, uh, I wrote a little while ago, I wrote an article for uh, German publication Die Welt, it's kind of like the LA Times or New York Times for the German speaking market, uh, about my experiences with uh, genetic testing, gene, you know, the potential of gene therapies and everything that could uh, happen very shortly in that space. And what was interesting was uh, there were plenty of reactions and comments, um, about half of them very, very enthusiastic and, and curious, but there was also a lot of criticism, you know, in the sense of, uh, uh, is it not good and natural that we have to leave this planet at a certain time? You know, all these things that come up for people in their minds when they're dealing with this. And I mean, I'm of the ilk, I say, wow, if I had a drastically extended life and health span, which I'm actively working on today, all the things that I could do with that, the more things I could learn, how I could affect society, the planet positively, I've seen also for you, I mean, your dedication was, you know, uh, first to your family, but now you're on a larger mission. I've seen on your social media, you know, you've posted images uh, from NASA, the International Space Station. Is there a larger mission behind what you're doing with BioViva? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I guess... I mean, I, I felt very unlucky uh, for my son to get sick. And there's a lot to unpack in what you had to say, because we're talking about ger Germany and genetic engineering. Right. And there's, there's a real dark history there that, that they're afraid to talk about, which is eugenics. Yes. And I'm certainly not afraid to talk about that. So if you want to get into that, um, this is not eugenics. So they're, they're, nobody's using genetic modification to make sameness anymore. As a matter of fact, you know, I think that we'll, we'll, we will sprout out into uh, initially the equity of health for everyone. And then people will spin into their own interesting um, uh, plans for how they want to live and in, in surviving global climate change. I mean, you know, this is this is this is really big uh, space travel. Uh, that's where where you were going to that. That's immense uh, possibilities uh, living in space and, and having different experiences. But let's go back to the core of what you said, which is lifespan. So usually when you ask people, when do you want to die? It's some far off thing, but they think they they're excited about it. <laughs> But um, I mean, I really think that when people die, we lose a huge asset and we lose a huge um, market potential to do something for the world. So on, on one, there's two ends of aging. There's the youth that unfortunately often don't get educated that could have been the geniuses of solving today's problems. And then there's the aging people who could be the geniuses of solving tomorrow's problems with those young prodigies. And we're vastly overlooking this because the degradation of aging, the cognitive decline, 
um, it, it makes us devalue a process. And then people think, oh, well, it's natural, so I'll just die. But there, there, there's no, you know, pioneering and doing that. That's just what, what people do. And when given the ability, almost anyone with a disease would choose to have it cured. We, we desire life. But let's talk about potential because I'm going to go back to what I started to say and then stop. I was not lucky to have my child get sick. Um, every day is a worry. Okay. Every day, but that worry makes me work. And for the first time in my life, I started giving back to society in the way that I always really wanted to and thought that I wasn't good enough or I didn't have uh, the right background. Or I'm telling that anyone who's watching this, I'm saying to you, you can do anything you want to do because you don't have to do everything. You get the people together who can do it and you can do it. So never, ever count yourself out. Mm -hmm. I'm, um, I'm doing my MBA right now. I'm working full-time. I help three companies on a full-time basis. I help two companies on a part-time basis and I'm doing my MBA. I can do it because it's my ability. It's my chance to give back. And sometimes I think people just need that chance. They just need to see that they're valuable and they're worth something. So I wouldn't say that I'm a high value person, but I'm saying that I was able to put something together that I hope helps people. And it has spurred a passion in me that in my years, as my children are getting older and uh, my first child's already gotten a bachelor degree, my second child's about to go to college and I'd be, what am I going to do with myself? I've found a lot to do with myself. So time is your greatest, most powerful currency. So getting more time, don't count the people out around you who you think aren't giving back to the world. They just need time to do it. Mm. Beautifully said. And um, I could not agree more with you. And I think there's also a bigger question behind that. So so uh, not just human lifespan and how long should it be? Could it be? It's also a question of biological freedom. You know, bioethics comes into this whole discussion, a freedom of scientific research. Um, also brings up the big questions of humanity. Who am I? Where do I come from? Where am I going? And especially where could I go if I had all of these uh, therapies at my fingertips? And it also brings up the question, should gene therapy be a fundamental human right? Should it be made available to everyone? Well, absolutely. And, and I think that that's one thing that we have been able to do is sort of turn bioethics on its head. Um, you know, bioethics is vastly driven by attorneys and anyone who has ever had a company or anything else, an attorney, the first thing they're supposed to tell you is no, don't do it. <laughs> and so, you know, there's a lot of, um, in bioethics, there's a lot of uh, things that people say that everyone can agree with, like, Drugs should be safe before they're used in humans, but there is no safe drug. We're all dying. We all have a hundred percent mortality risk and we are headed right towards that. So, um, and the, the US FDA, they, they regulate and pass drugs that get pulled from the market after going through the gold standard. This happens. There's a slew of drugs that would have never been regulated by the US FDA because of the animal models that we use today these drugs, like even aspirin, kill small animals that really revolutionized healthcare for humans, right? And penicillin is one of them. I mean, talk about, you know, saving, you know, millions and then eventually billions of lives. So um, 
we just need to do things differently. And so we, we believe that everyone should have the agency and autonomy to do with your body as you see fit, uh, that you should do it under um, knowledge and understanding of what you're doing, especially if you're making a permanent change. And that through the participation, the, the safest possible participation of humans, we can work towards the FDA guidelines and actually pass drugs for the masses. But we should know if they work first. Um, there have been a lot of really um, sad but true um, problems that have happened just in the longevity space where companies would raise $100, $200 million and they fail clinical trials. If they used our platform, they could have safely used the drug in humans and found out that those, those endpoints don't work and to find one that did or go back to the drawing board without spending, uh, you know, $5 million. I mean, you know, that's, that's the, the power of, you know, innovating technology. And I believe that what we're doing uh, will hopefully, I know it will eventually get acceptance to be done right here in the United States. So for those people who are wondering right to try and advanced access, don't cover these type of technologies. They're too new. But let's point out um, one of the reasons why you're getting a vaccine uh, right now for people who agree with the vaccine. I 100% agree with the vaccine. I understand the technology. The reason they were able to do that in a year is because that's gene and cell technology. It's a very, very short acting gene therapy. It's called mRNA. So that's a super, super short acting gene therapy. It's like a two day gene therapy. There's no virus involved that's going to get you sick. So you're, you don't have to get this attenuated version of the coronavirus and maybe or maybe not get sick. You may get symptoms because your body's amounting a response to just the protein that the mRNA is making, but it only lasts for a couple of days. And then let's look at RNA therapies. They last for a month. So people who are on uh, drugs that they have to uh, take every day in the future, you might want to just take an RNA therapy. The drug will last for one month. Imagine how freeing that is. Then let's take it one step farther. We go to the DNA and where the long-term cures are. The DNA may persist with your body for a lifetime. So that's, that's the, you know, the power of the different technologies. So we really have to set up of a system that is much like how they did this um, immunization that allows these cures or potential cures for aging to come through much faster. Because even though globally we've lost a lot of people to coronavirus, this year we will lose 41 million people to biological aging. Mm -hmm. So once you put the numbers into perspective, they're all important. That's what I'm saying. Vastly, those are aging people that are dying of coronavirus. So, but if we tackle the aging part of it, they wouldn't be. And, and it's a book burning. Dying is a book burning. It's, it's, it's your biggest asset gone. It's all your life's work destroyed. You know, it's, it's, it's just very, it's very quite sad. But, you know, I got into this for health. Uh, we didn't get into this for ultimate uh, immortality. But the truth is, if you're healthy, what do you die of? And who, you know, if if you really choose to die, you should have the right to do that, you know, humanely, not of cancer, you guys, not of dementia, not because you had to die because there was no cure for your disease, but because you, you with dignity, 
chose to. You decided to pioneer death just the same way we're deciding to pioneer life. Superhumanize. Absolutely. You brought up cognitive decline before. I mean, you think about a disease like Alzheimer's that's devastating so many people's lives and not only their own, but also their loved ones. And uh, the cause of Alzheimer's disease has now been traced to a mutation in a common enzyme and a gene therapy could be a cure for especially this kind of disease and others like that. Um, one thing that pops up in my mind, of course, with all these, we're standing at the precipice of all these amazing possibilities. Some of these therapies are already offered. Some of these, you know, the knowledge that we need to tackle these diseases before they develop or aging before it develops, your company offers. Um, how can we make sure that these types of, of therapies um, don't become something that only the rich have access to, creating an even more divided society of the haves and have-nots? You know, we're only the, uh, to be <laughs> maybe a little flippant, but we're only the Kim Kardashians and the Kim Jong-uns of this world uh, get to be the overlords that get to live forever. Yeah, that's a good question. And it's actually a really uh, common concern that people have because right now the technology is really expensive. Mm -hmm. But let's put into perspective what innovating technology can do. So today, if your child was born with severe combined immune deficiency or boy in the bubble disease, it would cost about a million dollars to cure that disease through the regulatory system. There is a cure for it, and that's fantastic, but it's very expensive. Um, if you have congenital blindness right now, it's about a, it's a $250,000 per eye or you go blind. Uh, if your child is born with spinal muscular atrophy today, it's between two and $5 million for them to have a cure. And they have about a window of about six weeks from birth to get that gene therapy. So I don't like that. And um, with medical tourism, what we could do is we can actually offer those type of gene therapies for a fraction of the cost. If you open up the market and you allow the market to bear itself, um, you know, a an eye therapy shouldn't cost any more, more than 75,000. And if you were doing it by scale, if you were doing tens of thousands of them a year, they shouldn't cost over $10,000. And that's what people would expect to pay for that type of technology. So it really is scale. So at first it's very expensive and you're still in the process of trying to get it to work. So if I had a cure for aging right now, that was a hundred percent guarantee, it would be actually super unethical for me not to give that to everyone. Right. So we'd have to figure out how to pull the money and everyone get access to it, but it's still in the experimental phase. But once that is known, you're looking at treating every human on the planet. Well, all of them who elect to have it done. So really, um, you can scale it uh, properly at that time to an affordable price. But my, what I was trying to show you is that through medical tourism, we can already do things at a fraction of the cost that they do them through the regulatory system right now. So the regulatory system is probably even more broken than the technology is to begin with. And I completely agree with you. Also, some of these new technologies that arise when they first come up, they're vastly expensive. I mean, you think about how much it costs to sequence the first genome. You think about how much it costs the first time somebody uh, 
went on a transatlantic flight. You think about how much it cost when we first started using phones or even mobile phones. These are technologies when they first come up, they may cost a lot, but they open up the playing field to scale it and make it available for everyone. First of all that, and second of all, you know, um, do we have the right to keep a certain technologies under wraps just because initially we may not be able to distribute them to everyone? My opinion is no, because as you said, all of this will scale and become available and will be beneficial at some point to the larger human family. Well, and I think like governments will definitely want to start carrying this and, and making sure that people have it once it's really working really well, because each one of the aging diseases is a trillion dollar disease globally. So, and some of them like heart disease is a trillion dollar burden just for the United States annually. So mm -hmm. we're, we're looking at annual costs of these diseases and imagine how much money would be out there to put into better ideas, let's hope, instead of the war machine, uh, you, you know, uh, you, you've got, if you had a, you know, extra few trillion dollars to spend, hopefully you'd, you'd spend it the right way. You know, you're Education. only not losing. Education, Education infrastructure, you know, preserving wildlife habitats, creating sustainable jobs, all the good. Oh my gosh. And, and you know, that's another thing with life there. There's so much we can do because, you know, I've got this vision of the world and how we could travel safely and watch nature grow up back around us, you know, in solar tubes and, and in a really cool way. And, you know, it's just, it's not, I mean, it's all tangible. We can actually fix this, but right now, so anyone who's watching and, and feels skeptical and really still wants to die of dementia, um, that's fine. You can do that. Um, but your children are going to have a hell of a time surviving global climate change at this point. There is so much technology herein. Um, George Church, one of our scientific advisors, is looking at bringing back the permagrass, uh, Russian permagrass, because it actually helps keep the planet cooler for a longer period of time. There are different things that we could actually engineer uh, to make things better. And before you start telling me, oh my God, that's genetically engineered stuff and I don't eat GMO. Okay. Let's, let's do it. <laughs> I don't eat GMO. Everything you eat is GMO. And I'm going to tell you right now, so we can just stop the debate. Everything in the grocery store is GMO. A whole bunch of it was created by splicing plants together or putting, applying radiation and randomly creating genetic mutations that we didn't know what it was doing, but maybe it was making bigger tomatoes. Now we do it in a way that takes 300 times more scientific oversight. They're 300 times more careful making one little genetic mutation to a plant than we ever were before in the past. But if we want to step back a few hundred years, your tomatoes didn't look like that. Your corn didn't look like that. You know, none of the things that we table today looked like those things. And the future has even more changes in store. This morning I was listening to, you know, the cultured meat. It's real meat, comes from real cells, but it will cut down, you know, carbon dioxide and it'll cut down farming by 65%, which will make a healthier planet. And so, you know, there's, there's even more changes coming. So the, the future is about adaptability. It's about change. It's about actually understanding science and understanding what's in front of you today. So 
you know, it's not even a debate. There's no debate to start with you. I have no debate. You're eating genetically modified food. That's it. No, it's very true. I personally am somebody I place great value on eating, you know, organic pesticide free and all that. Um, there are two sides of the discussion, though. So the one side is I'm very well aware that everything is modified nowadays. I think that um, solutions for world hunger uh, lie in science and also providing with the kinds of crops uh, that can not only survive, let's say, climate change or other, um, other problems. Um, on the other side, it's also how good are we as human beings, as the human family, as the company leaders and, and scientists who put out these solutions, because there's also clearly companies who do not really care about human welfare, but just yeah. about you know generating a lot of income for shareholders. So my- It's true, we know those companies. We all know the name of that one <laughs> company who put you know, uh, seeds over, you know, their profit over you know seeds and 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 the uh the risk that that created to the world but now you know because of those companies a lot of regulation has tightened in and people shouldn't own our seeds yes. and and we should ensure through a modification that they cannot destroy old crops because diversification is king but at the same time going back to what you're saying we should not have children in Asia dying of blindness in their 20s anymore because we can't give them golden rice, uh, which is one gene. It's the beta carotene gene. And if you add it to rice, you literally save hundreds of lives a year because we're an overfed country where we, ha we have overabundance of nutrition. We don't realize that people in other places of the world are still starving for simple vitamins and minerals starving and also, um, you know, suffering from serious disease, something that is so uh, unfathomable for us, because we have everything at our disposal. And what you just brought up as well, I'm fascinated by the new uh, cultured meats, not only the plant based meat, pro um, meat, you know, alternatives, I personally am vegan, and I've uh, chosen to go plant based many years ago, for, you know, all kinds of different reasons. I always loved the flavor of meat. I mean, I haven't had it in years. Right, everybody meat, does. Meat tastes fantastic. But, you know, my personal just desires of how, how I wanted to affect the world, anything from, you know, uh, animal welfare to human rights, which is also closely connected, and social justice, the environment, it all just made sense for me to do my little part. And, and plus, my personal health. I've never felt better. I've never looked better. However, you look great, by the way, I'm sure if like you were the spokesperson for being vegan, everyone would be on board. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. You're very kind coming from a beautiful and highly, highly, highly devastatingly in a good way, intelligent woman. Thank you for the compliment. Then I want to talk about uh, your age shortly too, because that just blew my mind before when we talked, uh, started recording the podcast, but the cultured meat is something I well, you know, I'm eager to dry. If I know it's been, you know, produced under uh, regulated conditions, it's all clean, uh, contrary to how a lot of these animals are produced, um, uh, quote, and standing in their own feces and being diseased, I am definitely up for trying that. So I, I love these new developments. It, so it's, it's really, you know, I, I watched one of the uh, new uh, documentaries about the planet. I love these documentaries because like Earth is definitely my temple and I'm very thankful for it. And David Attenborough has a new one. And, you know, essentially what he gets down to is, you know, the, the, the globe was never ready to hold 
you know, 8 billion predators. Uh, that's why with tigers and lions and bears and whoever else out there, um, now I feel like we're in Wizard of Oz, but um, <laughs> I mean, you know, that's why there's so few of them out in nature and you would see so many more uh, prey animals than you would predators. It's an enormous burden to the planet and the the inhumane ways that we handle animals. Most people are just um, got guarded and guided away from it, but it's a serious issue about humanity. And I raised two kids, a uh, vegetarian. We, we go back and forth with some vegan meals and, um, I know we can do even better, uh, by going vegan, but you know, we, we really did, uh, do our part as much as we could there, um, treating, uh, that as an ethic, ethical and, and moral stance, but, I am excited about these new technologies. And not only will you get the same meat that you got before, but you'll get it without the problems and without the things that do make people sick. Exactly. Uh, so you get it without the antibiotic re resistance. You get it without some of the um, really bad components um, in disease that animals have. You'll get a lot less outbreaks of E. coli um, in people who are vegan and not just because they decided to eat some salad because there's an overabundance of cow shit on the planet. So what do you do with it? You call it fertilizer and try to sell it too, you know? So, um, thank you for bringing that up. That's another way forward. Superhumanize. So I want to bring it back to your field of expertise, gene therapy. What are the most interesting things happening right now? Where do you see the most promise? And also the next decade in gene therapy, what do you predict? What are we going to see happening? Wow. Uh, so when, when I started uh, this, we started, uh, when I started working in the area of longevity, we started a uh, online sort of uh, repository of articles about aging and it was it's a it's called the longevity reporter and i think you can still find it on facebook um, probably somebody's uploading occasionally something to it anyway when we started that um, project the longevity reporter we had a hard time finding one article on aging uh, now what we find is there if we were still doing that it, it would be Oh, it, it, you, would, you would have to really work to boil down what you should be showing. There is so much work in, in the aging research. Almost every paper now that comes out about Parkinson's or dementia or heart disease talks about aging cells. Um, you know, the, the eye of science is turning towards what is actually causing the biggest killer on the planet, the biggest unmet need. Uh, we're seeing companies popping up uh, and, and doing things like going after senescent cells, lengthening telomeres. Uh, Beijing just had a discovery in mice uh, just a couple of days ago of a gene that if you knock it out, the mice live longer. Um, that's for mice again. So, you know, you always have to put your radar on what works in a mouse may or may not work in a human. And when you have something first in use, it's sometimes a very long ways uh, from humans, but, you know, we're trying to speed that up, but we can't just, you know, radically do everything. Um, so I still think that some of the best technology in for humans today are, are the genes 
that were already of interest two decades ago and a decade ago. So things like lengthening telomeres, clotho. Clotho is a gene associated with aging. Uh, when you upregulate it, it protects against cardiovascular disease, chronic kidney disease, and it in increases cognitive um, benefits. It has cognitive benefits. So there, you know, increasing muscle mass, it's, it's beyond proof of concept. It already works in humans. You know, this is fantastic. These are the low hanging fruits. So you can go from these kind of things, PGC1-alpha, this is a new gene that we're looking at that increases the uh, biogenesis of mitochondria. So it makes your cells powerhouse, the mitochondria more robust, and it makes it so you have more of them. Uh, these are all... Um, processes behind the hallmarks of aging that will drive regeneration in the body. So right now, things are just kind of on fire with these technologies, but some of them have been around for a while. And, and those are the ones that we feel most comfortable putting in humans. But the, the genes of the future, the new things that are being found um, are I mean, it's just one after another. It, and now it really comes down to how do these genes play off of each other? So with telomerase, we feel like we feel pretty comfortable lengthening telomeres because in animal models, it decreases your susceptibility to cancer. It makes a healthy organism. It makes healthier cells. Um, we don't see anything catastrophic. Whereas if we just find a gene today, you know, we have to make sure that there isn't, isn't a problem down the road. So the horizon really is, I mean, that's why we're working on that is how do you deliver multiple genes that will treat aging? So there are other things like in case people haven't been up on it, they're called the Yamanaka factors. And you can take somebody who's 90 years old and you can turn their cell into an embryonic cell. So the problem is you don't want to do that in a human body because if you had a bunch of embryonic cells, you turn into a blob or you, you might start differentiating tissues into things that you didn't want like tumors. But there are companies now that are learning how to control the Yamanaka factors and make it so maybe they'll only be able to turn aging back so far. So um, I think that we'll always need some small molecules and some some pampering work uh, that we do to ourselves that um, may have to do with like infusions of certain vitamins and minerals that might help in the long run. But vastly, I, I do believe I'm, I'm quite set on that genetics will cure aging and actually open us up to a realm of new possibilities uh, that today we've, we're too limited to understand. Yes, and there's something I alluded to uh, before, which is uh, with regards to you, you just shared with me uh, before we actually started recording the podcast that you are going to turn 50 shortly and it just blew me away. You look 20 years younger. I want to know, <laughs> the listeners and those people who are watching us want to know what has your regimen, what is your regimen? I mean, from regular things, even supplements, certain practices that you have, but what uh, in the field of what you're doing, your research, and also the, the services and products you put out, what do you do, Liz? I have to know. 
Oh, that's really nice. And everyone watching also knows that you're being way too kind. Uh, but okay, so what I did is I did gene therapies in 2015. I did the telomerase um, extender, uh, lengthen the telomeres at the ends of the caps of the chromosomes. And I did the myostatin inhibitor, increased, increased my muscle mass. Um, I believe in meditation. Now, since then, I've traveled all over the world. I've met with a couple presidents. I've met with the Dalai Lama to speak live on stage to, about this technology. I have done a lot of presentations and wore myself absolutely ragged. And that's the one benefit of COVID is that I'm resting now. So sleep, get some sleep when you can. Don't stress out about it or you'll get none, I found out. Uh, um meditate. Um, meditation is um, really important. And then uh, this last summer, I participated in a couple more gene therapies. I tried the Clotho and the, and the PGC1-alpha. And um, that's fantastic. I feel, I'm, I feel like I almost have a little bit too much energy now uh, <laughs> in a good way. Uh, but kind of, um, I, I don't know, I'd like to go on a nice long run. I think I will get back into running. But um, I think that really just the only thing that I've really done to intervene with my life since my son was diagnosed was gene therapy and meditation. Mm -hmm. And um, I gene therapy probably isn't for everyone yet today. I think it will be for everyone in the near future. So I think you're going to be excited about it in the future. Think about it. You have heart disease, let's say you have you 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 could either let the heart disease go and have open heart surgery or take some injections now and never have it you know that's the type of technology that we're working towards um that's where you want to be um you don't i i don't know um i know a lot of people who take a lot of nutraceuticals and it, it's hit or miss i think some of them are really good for you i think you should make sure you know you have enough vitamin C and zinc and um, things like that. But mostly in our diets, we probably already get enough of many of these things. If you're eating a healthy diet, uh, don't overdo those uh, because that can make you sick too. Um, so I don't know. I think you really just need to take your markers. Um, like we offer some biomarkers. You need to go to your doctor and get your regular blood work done. Make sure that you're up on all of the things you need, like your vitamin D and, and your, you know, your body is, is balanced. Uh, but other than that, um, I think meditation outside of gene therapy is my strongest suit. And yes, I will be 50 this month and I'm not ashamed of it. Um, I am really proud uh, to still be alive, especially after my wild teenage years. <laughs> and um, and I've, I feel like I've got a lot more in me. And so hopefully um, the most of what I'd like for my life is to make sure that I've given something back before I go, whether that's tomorrow or in a million years. I um, And I, so I think that I, I feel good about being alive. And I don't think I would so much if I wasn't doing something that really motivated me. So I don't know. It's inspiring. It's enlightening. And I think, you know, what your life's calling, you are part of a group of people who are really going to um, deeply alter the course of humanity. And these uh, technologies that are coming our way, I think, 
you know, if you want to compare it to uh, Gutenberg developing the printing of books and the, how that affected change worldwide, these new technologies coming our way, literally being at our fingertips now and hopefully at the disposal of the uh, majority of the human family in the future, uh, I think we can't even begin to fathom how that will change us in the most profound ways. Well, and yeah, and think about that. So when I got involved in uh, genetics, I was trying to find cures for kids because there are kids that we're vastly unaware of that are still dying, um, you know, at eight, six, seven, eight, nine, and 10 years old, you know? So I feel really lucky to be 50. But for those people out there that are sitting on the couch who are maybe 30 or 50 or 60 and are overweight and um, feel underutilized and are just, you know, wondering what their life is about. I think that this type of technology is going to make everyone's life better. It's going to touch their life. So if you're watching, you're thinking, I don't know how this relates to me. It does relate to you. It will improve your life. Um, it will be amazing. And you can open up a whole new chapter of, you know, running a marathon or, or doing things that you thought that you didn't want to do, or maybe you would just like your body to be really fit without having to do a lot. You'd want to think better or, you know, this type of technology will open up the possibility for those viewers to actually internalize it. So when I'm up on stage and I'm talking about something, I'm not talking about it just for me. I'm here to get it to you. Mm -hmm. And so when you hear this message, you know, when somebody says, oh, I don't know if I want to watch somebody do sports that is genetically superior to me, those people already are. So Hussein Bolt to, you know, Michael Phelps to all of these people who are record breakers at sports, they were already born genetically superior to you with a natural set of genes. What if everybody had the ability to do that? What if everybody with effort, because, you know, nothing replaces going out and, and moving your body and trying, could, could do those type of things. Think about how much more industrious many people would be. And so I want to empower people with that feeling of it's not the othering, it's not them and you. This is your opportunity. This is your chance to shine. This is your future too. And not being at the mercy of the genes that you have been dealt, but actually being able to implement change. I am, I am very fascinated by all this and very curious uh, what we are going to see come our way in the future. And I know you mentioned it in our conversation. You have in a few weeks uh, I, uh, the, the research that you conducted with Rutgers University. You have a paper coming out. So I do hope we can continue the conversation at that point when I know you'll have more to share uh, with us and invite you back on the podcast. It's been uh, a real pleasure, Liz. And for people who want to reach you and connect with you, what's the best way to do it. Well, uh, you can find a little bit about our company at bioviva-science.com. Uh, you can also find us on social media like Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. I don't do that part of it. Um, we have that part done internally uh, by our marketer, um, Adam Alonzi, but um, you know, you should definitely reach out and learn more and uh, follow our progress and look at the progress of, of the whole community of people working towards longevity, a better, healthier, happier future. 
Um, just recently, we're even looking at genes associated with depression, which affects so many people on the planet. So through this type of modality, there's, there's a lot that can be done. Outstanding. Well, Liz, again, thank you so much for being a guest on the Superhumanized podcast today. I look forward to reconnecting and uh, yeah, so much more to talk about, so much more to discover. Thanks for having me. Superhumanize. Accelerated evolution.